Before we get started with this episode of The Watch Reup, I just wanted to mention that The Ringer now has merch. Go to bit.ly.com slash ringer merch where you can find shirts and hoodies. The complete wardrobe. A portion of the proceeds from each purchase will benefit Charity Water, a nonprofit organization that provides clean and safe drinking water to people in developing nations. Again, go to bitly.com slash ringer merch. Get the fits. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to the Watch Reup. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor of TheRinger.com and on the other line, he's just the tip of the iceberg. It's Andy Greenwald. Oh my God, that's Chris Ryan. <laughs> that That's what my intro would have been. I know who I am. Intro you. I know who I am. <laughs> I don't know why they made another movie about you, but I know who you are. <laughs> I mean, we've gone from so much enthusiasm for the Jason Bourne franchise to, to so much cynicism. No, no. This is an enthusiastic <laughs> podcast. That's what our brand is here. Um, let's explain to the people, Chris, how we're doing this re-up, yeah. how we're breaking this down. Table so of contents. Do this it. Is, uh, we're going to talk about Mr. Robot first, um, and then mm-hmm. afterwards, we're going to talk about the Jason Bourne series of films and all of the Ludlum novels page by page. No, just the, mm-hmm. <laughs> just... Um, just the series up to Jason Bourne. Uh, Andy and I have both seen Jason Bourne, but we figured it would be cool if we waited till Monday uh, to talk about the actual Jason Bourne, the fifth film in the, in the series. So Monday will probably be like Jason Bourne with a little night of and preacher talk. But today we'll do a robot catch up and then we'll do kind of a loose like why we love the Bourne series, issues with the Bourne series favorite movies in the Bourne series up to yes this one okay um, you did that very well thanks man uh, i love setting the table hate cooking <laughs> love setting the table uh don't love setting the table i don't know actually what side things are supposed to go on enough about me let's talk about mr robot is that why you used to really like down nabby because you were very interested in like learning from it like where the cutlery went i don't feel like it was a particularly spot it didn't do a lot of uh that was like an element of it but it wasn't like say uh rounders where you learn a lot about poker you know what if pbs had done like the downton expanded universe with like web series (laughs) where it's like mrs patmore's kitchen school where you like really learn yeah i i think there's a huge market for that um wow what if you know if we ever no let me rephrase that when we do the downton abbey after show i feel like that's what we can really first of all just incredible etiquette from both of us, we would have a much higher wardrobe budget than we had for After the Throne. And we would oh, really I would definitely get into have a waste people want. Yeah. And we would get to keep the silverware, which would be an amazing benefit. <laughs> um, All right. I, I, I'm sorry. I just I derailed you. You set the table, and then I did the thing where you pull out the tablecloth, but I did it badly, so everything crashed. Do you I think start it, over? it's understandable why we are, we are dragging our feet a little bit. We're going to talk about Mr. Robot, which I think we alluded to this sort of... We, we talked about the tea leaves last week. Being that, mm-hmm. are we not not quite? Are we sure it's good? But are like, are we sure it's good this season, right? And then we talked. The tea leaves were there, and now I feel like those tea leaves have steeped. You know what I mean? Mm. It is a, 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 a aromatic Russian black tea. You know, like it's mm, very no, but but <laughs> but not caffeinated. I, I think that it's fair to say this is technically the fourth episode of the second season. I would say this has been this was probably the weakest episode of the series to date um what was really interesting about well we'll talk about the episode in specific but just generally around the episode this episode was too long um i didn't watch it with commercials i got a screener 
without commercials, it was 65 minutes. Um, that's longer than the HBO dramas and Showtime dramas that we often ding for being too long. Those are generally like 58 minutes. I think if you cut um, off the credits, it's like as long as Neighbors. I think that's I think that's right. And I don't think it needed that much time and space. And what was interesting was that I don't think I think Sam Esmail might agree with us because he preemptively tweeted yesterday in a very in a funny self-deprecating sort of way that this was the last extra long episode and he would promise to try and be less long wit and then he got he cut off because of the character limit. But you know, this is definitely when you give a creator an auteur complete carte blanche um, and then let them basically direct it like a film and they have final edit, like things can get long, things can get baggy. And while I support that in general, I thought it was, I think it's worth noting that this episode, you know, I, th- I think like Alan Sepinwall in his recap hit something correct about it, which is that unlike last week, which had that really bravura Adderall OD sequence, this episode didn't really have the thing that made it seem to demand the extra time. I would take it a step further and say the best part of this episode, the kind of thing that made me, and there were a couple things that I loved in the episode and we'll get into them, but the Elliot fantasy sequence where he hugs the guy that he shamed at Stone Mountain last year and they have Thanksgiving dinner in the middle of the street. The dramatic ingenuity and cleverness and vibrancy of that scene was sapped and robbed by the fact that the rest of the episode dragged around it. It didn't pop because we, the rest of the episode drag does, does that make sense so yeah well because it argued against itself I, in that way if let's say what you're saying is true about you know you've got this is television this is otor television for better or for worse it almost mm-hmm. feels like he couldn't choose between what was going to be the galvanizing not even an event because it wasn't like these are all things that are happening in elliot's head but is it the chess game or is it this fantasy that he's having before he finally gets a restful, natural night's sleep? Or is it the mm-hmm. conversation that he has with Joey Badass, with, with Leon in the, in the diner? Is it any one of these conversations with Ray that he's having that is the, now the page is turned and I've decided to go back to, to this other life, this or the real world, quote unquote. And I think that that's, that's what happens when you get attached and you fall in love with your creations in a very natural and real way where you're just like, I can't choose between these things that I've, I've, I've thought up. And that, that makes total sense that that would happen. It is kind of remarkable to watch that play out. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, I wouldn't necessarily call it entertaining maybe. And I think we're probably hedging because we have a lot of affection for the show. And uh, obviously you've been involved with it in a tangential way. So we're probably not being as harsh on Mr. Robot as we would if we just watched like Feed the Beast and we were like, that sucks next. You know, like also the first season of Mr. Robot's really good and we're waiting for it to sort of catch that flame again. Well, to, to, to go further than that, there's different levels of dissatisfying and to, to, to be dissatisfying because of, you know, because of ambition. Um, there's, I find that I find less fault in that, you know, I think in terms of just visual framing and, and performance and character choices, I think we're still operating on a very, very, um, high level here. One thing I was thinking of is in my, in my, in my, you know, four year, college university course and being a full-time tv critic one thing that i kind of often came up against is this this realization that tv shows and this is you know tv shows tend to um mimic their main characters 
after a while. Um, you know, the, you know I, oh. the, the, or the adjectives you would use to describe the main characters are often the same adjectives you would use to describe the show. Like, what? Give me and, an example you know, I, of that. I, I, okay, well, like, I think, I think uh, House of Cards. Frank Underwood is sort of a hammy bullshit artist, and I think House of Cards is sort of hammy and bullshit. You know? <laughs> give me an um, example of pretty... that where you actually liked it. <laughs> well. Um, Breaking Bad. On Breaking Bad, um, uh, uh, Walter White was was brilliant and clinical and precise and relentless. And I think I would use those words to describe the show as well. Um, I also think you can take it a step further and point to examples. And, oh, sorry. And to, to finish that thought, you know, this show is cerebral and frustrating sometimes and, and maddening and quite often potentially insane or, or or you know or suffering from delusions of grandeur and we don't and much as you could say about elliot well i think you could make um, a you could make a case that the the way in which the show is not exactly pleasing to a to the audience is is in some way similar to the way elliot is not exactly fit for right. party conversations right and and to take it a step further another another observation that i've that i've tried to to unpack in the past is that sometimes uh creators want to make their art feel like an emotional experience that is being uh endured or experienced by their main character and the example i always used for that was season i think it was season six of mad men um season six of mad men was the most expensive most explicit in terms of Weiner's deep-seated belief that change is enormously difficult and people are almost invariably pulled back to their worst selves. That was the season where, where Don Draper basically circled the drain the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and storylines explicitly echoed themselves. So there were episodes where a lot of the, you know, the day after criticism was we've seen that before when I think the larger point was that was the point. Right. But that being the point can often be too clever. And I say that to say, I, I say that to, to spe- specifically to reference the idea of Elliot playing chess against himself to a stalemate is clever and visually beautiful. I thought, I mean, whoever is doing the production scouting for the show is just on, a, on another level. The way the, the setup of that frame with the trees, it was really beautiful and, and, and really interesting to look at. But the idea of that makes sense and it is compelling and consistent with the show, but it is not that, I don't think it's that rewarding ultimately to experience the the lesson that he can't beat himself. I I think that probably worked better in, in the page than it did on the screen. Do you, I think I, I think I know the answer to this, but let's pretend. Well, okay. Let me say it this way. Do you think that Sam Esmail wishes he could make wire season two right now? You like, mean make his show about white people? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> tell me. Tell me what you mean. Completely reboot it with some tangential threads back to the like ideas of the show. Mm. But whether I, I guess you can't have a show without Christian Slater and Rami Malek. But that there is something about the what is happening here and watching him kind of. I think what happens is like the much like the chess game that's happening in the show i feel like the MacGuffins of the show keep getting pushed towards the foreground and then pulled back towards the background so the as a viewer and as an attentive viewer i i still don't know what i'm supposed to care about here and what's just yada yadaing. like is the what like last night and we could talk about the the episode specifically for instance 
I was like, oh, so now, now we're back on, like, the plant is, like, a major thing again now. And this leak and all this stuff and the class action lawsuit and all this stuff that mm-hmm. I thought was, like, kind of just, like, there to chip away at E-Corp and give Angela something. Like, there's things I see there, and now it's, like, Price and um, White Rose are talking about it. And, like, this, like, yes. well, can't close the plant. And I was like, ah, so this is, like, I'm getting off. To, it's, like, a little bit where where is my eye supposed to go um which I, is i i agree with that and i also want to note i i really don't think people drink red wine like that like quench their <laughs> alcoholic thirst like yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I i just felt like all those chewy tannins like you probably have a dry mouth you know it's just not that refreshing it looks like it's hot there um no your point is a i think is is the right one i i think um Think about the framework of the sh- well. Two things. I, I thought you were going to refer to the fan theory that people have. You know that this is all in Elliot's mind, or that he's in prison, or in some sort of psychiatric ward. The further we go without that being addressed, the more frustrating it becomes. Because I believe that's not the case, I, or I very much hope that's not the case, because that's not the version of the show that I like. This might be an example of um, either Sam or you know the other producers maybe misreading what people would be chasing. Um, because otherwise I think they would have been a little bit more um, definitive about it at this point because it's been a lot of screen time. You know, these have been long episodes and I think people, so I thought that's what you were saying when you met. Well, I also met, do you think that, so one of the things that I'm finding a little bit difficult to, to, to grapple with, with the show is like the, the night, like the, the five, two or five, nine attack or whatever they're, what, what do they call it? The five, five, nine, the five, nine, the five, nine hack. And you, you do it. And on one hand, there's graffiti up. People are having trouble getting money. You know, people are cutting up their credit cards. There's issues. And then on the other hand, life seems completely normal. I love that. That's exactly probably yeah, how it's going to, how it will feel when this fucking inevitably happens to us. Um, you mean, you mean, not, you mean, yeah, when, when, when Guccifer um, celebrates the Trump <laughs> victory with exactly this. Yeah. On the other hand, I don't, I almost feel like I want more of, the what is the real world situation what is actually happens if you wipe out personal debt how would companies continue to try and oppress people if they couldn't use collection notices etc and this well i unification and i almost want to get outside of the set of characters that we have that's what i mean by wire too is it you you basically you could have elliot interacting with a completely new group of people I agree with that. And, and the, the show is suffering from the fact that all the characters are on different shows right now, for the most part, and separate from each other. Um, to that point, I would like to see that, too, um, because the moments of real world stuff that we see, like that brief moment when Darlene's on the train and someone's wearing a gas mask and someone else is wearing a VR helmet. Like that was just I love that stuff. I think that's just beautiful. But I want to I want to I want to hang out in that world. Yeah, exactly. Um, except maybe have some cash. But to your <laughs> other point. The conversation with White Rose and Price was elliptical, but it did sound like it was Price's goal to crash the economy so that they then they're forced to create a new economy, right? Weren't they saying like ecoin? Yeah. Um, and, and so the suggestion that we're actually going to some a bigger conspiracy where they will control everything, as opposed to just other people's money, they will invent the money. Um, that's an interesting idea. It I, is an you know, interesting idea, but that, didn't you think that those guys were pretty in control in the first place? Yeah, so I, I think what we're seeing is a little bit of a struggle of a how much to give, how much, like how hard to hold the rope, yeah, yeah, how much yeah. to give, how much to pull back. 
you know, we we talked a lot about the show in how completely unique it was because this was written as a feature film script. Uh, Sam had the idea of the characters. He had the world. And for the first season, he basically told the, f- you know, a, a slightly stretched out version of the first act of the movie. Going into season two, also being told, by the way, that, you know, USA is reinventing itself in the image of the show. We want as many seasons, you know, it hasn't officially been renewed, so who knows. But everything I've been led to believe is that, you know, they want, they would like to have multiple seasons of this show and be in this, you know, the Mr. Robot business for a while. So then you have to figure out, well, how much to give, how much to, to, to hold back, how much to expand, which direction to move in. He was very explicit about the fact that what interested him most was the forming of F society and the family stuff. So that meant going backwards, but we are stuck in a place where I think we now want to move forward a little bit. And the elliptical nature of the price white rose stuff, the absence of Terrell has left us a little bit in neutral in terms of moving forward here's what I think. I don't think any of those things are um, sins that can't be recovered from. I, I think the the real problem with the episode was it's fine that they were treading water or expanding. You know, I think for to be successful, shows have to be as broad as they are deep, but it didn't need 65 minutes because it that only highlighted the um, the fact that we were moving sideways instead of moving, moving deeper. Sure. Okay. I wanted to ask you a quick TV thing mm, before sure. we go, take the break and go into Bourne. Okay. Just complete side note. You know, sometimes you really like to be blindsided on the podcast with questions you're not prepared for. Sure, I love it. Only, but more Um, when it has to do with something that I tangentially have like some knowledge of, but haven't thought about in 18 months. No, totally. So basically, (laughs) what I want to talk to you about is the plight of over 40 actresses in Hollywood, and what I want to say about that. Look, you just fell silent. I'm not serious. Thinking about Buono out there. I just do that. By the way, all all future Buono talk is is being migrated to the AG pod. It's just going to be an interview with myself <laughs> and my conscience. It's going to be like the Elliot Christian Slater chess scene, but really just me talking about intersectionality. No, Chris, I want to ask you something because people have been asking us this, so I felt like we should address it. I have not seen BoJack Horseman. Have you seen BoJack Horseman? Yeah, I've seen him. I've seen almost all of it. Almost. You ha- do you like almost it? every episode? It it's it's lovely what? sure it's fun yeah i'm blindsided that you like it because i thought you didn't like cartoons i don't i i don't I, I appreciate it when I, they do adult things um and so you like fritz the cat what do you what do you mean you know what here's like, here's a funny you, thing you like the cartoons and playboy here's a funny thing you'd think that i was like i'm not into cartoons but i like bojack because it's depressing I'm actually quite a fan of anthropomorphic behavior on the part of animals. Wow. I didn't know that about you. I think a talking cat is hilarious. (laughs) Did you know that? No. This is taken... I also love it when they have funny names like Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. Do they? Yeah, in the the show they do. Sure. That's... that's the name of the cat on the show? There's one cat is a detective, and he's named Detective Meow Meow Fuzzy Face. And then there's another one named Princess Carolyn. Why didn't anyone tell me that? I'm super <laughs> into that. Um, I didn't know that about you. I didn't even want to talk about that show so much as what I... It, I wanted to mea culpa and say that I will try and watch it. I promise. I'd love to talk about it. Clearly, it is a critical uh, smash, a critical obsession, and we should we should give it consideration. And you... You sneaky meow meow, you're you're watching extra TV. <laughs> That's what they call but me. <laughs> what I wanted to say was I just wanted to do like a quick you know, sometimes we just like to to, to stick the temp that stick the thermometer in the in the culture. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, we were talking about, and we're going to continue to talk about, um, just the splash that Stranger Things made coming out of nowhere, and we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the, the last three episodes of that next week. Um, I, just the difference in things. So just yeah, how hard it's become to compare apples to oranges or even to consider grapes at all. What I mean by that is BoJack Horseman is a show on Netflix. It's in its third season. Critics adore it. So it's getting a lot of coverage. I imagine that means an expanded audience is finding the show. Netflix doesn't release data. They're going to renew the show because they love the critical adoration, but we have no way of knowing what that means or how many people are watching it, and we probably never will. What I want to ask you to consider in this moment is imagine a world where you watch Tyrant. Mm -hmm. What I mean is we have been debating the championship belt for TV. What I want to suggest is the existence of the (laughs) anti-belt. The loops. Wait, what does this have to do with the, Buono? The, the guy... It doesn't. I was kidding. Oh, the guy okay. <laughs> wearing a barrel. The naked guy wearing a barrel uh-huh. instead of the belt. Tyrant exists. Tyrant is like in its third season. What it is, is on a network, FX, that creates some of the best shows on TV. The shows that we love to talk about. Who watches Tyrant? Is, what is the financial model behind Tyrant? Is, What's going on with Tyrant? You got to tell me, man. I don't know. How come? How come? I don't know how Tyrant got renewed. I, I, I don't know either because I was trying to make the example of like BoJack. Like I get it, critically critical acclaim. Netflix's opaque business model. Okay, Halt and Catch Fire coming back next month. Psyched. You know, it's a miracle, but AMC made it work because it was critically acclaimed. They own the show. They're playing the long game that, you know, having four or five seasons of a show that people love will make sense when they go over the top and it'll be in their library or whatever. But Tyrant, like, I get the mailer for Tyrant and I'm like, really? I see that I, 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 when I was at the airport last week, I saw a copy of Cigar Aficionado magazine and it said Tyrant's Adam Rayner enjoys a nice whatever. And I was like, this is the Venn diagram of things I don't care about. Can't like, you? This is the. Okay. So it's but perfect. Just out magazine. of curiosity, aren't the economics of sustaining this is a complete theory. Not no, it's not a complete theory. I mean, it's a, a theory based on utter bullshit. So it's just a theory. <laughs> then it'll fit right in on this podcast. And I apologize for the Buono comment. Go is on. it more expensive to start a show than it is to sustain a show? So if you've already got the sets built yes. and the people's yes. deals are locked up for five years or whatever, and you've got the guys who are making the show, and it it's slowly incrementally finding an audience, and it's streaming or DVD or whatever. Isn't it easier just to be like run Tyrant back than it is to be like, let me get some other version of Tyrant that might even do worse and or even if it does better and your man on the show gets like popular, becomes Alden Ehrenrich and you're like, God, how am I going to pay for this guy or how do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's ex- I, I, I hope, that's true. I hope that's David Harbour and Cara Buono and Winona Ryder and all the little kids go up to Netflix and are like, cut the check, dog. Could you, do you want to say that in a little kid voice or a Winona Ryder freaking out? I want, I want to say voice, it the or? way Dustin would say it with the with the no front teeth, but I don't even think I can manage that. But in that same way where they're like, if if you guys have Boz Lorman getting 120 for that season of Get right. Down, yeah, you get you can you can pony up, man. Look in today, that is a really really good point and a good analogy because we you know we live in an overcovered media landscape where throwing bad money after good is almost essential because for netflix when so much of what they do like amazon and other you know digital companies perception is 
pretty much what their their business is. So when they announced that they're making this ambitious show set in the Bronx in the you know the early days of hip hop and Baz Luhrmann is making it, they get so much press and hype for that. You know that affects their stock price. Behind the scenes, by all accounts, there's this great um, was it Hollywood Reporter piece about it. It sounds like a catastrophe when the piece that the the network green lights to change the the story around the show comes out and the story around the show in the piece is like whoa that was a disaster yeah then it was really a disaster um that said people are at tca now people have been tweeting that they've seen the first three episodes and they like them so ultimately maybe you know we're wrong about that it's the same thing with you know with, with something like westworld for it seemed like a disaster now the perception is that it might not be and but that's how i felt about vinyl the, that like people never it never was going to be able a to chance live down. Of the story. Yeah, and also just as soon as it was like vinyl cost this much, oh, where the, what the hell? I was just like, well, they, right? Like it's like it's not your it's not your money, man. If vinyl so, just went up like Stranger Things, and all of a sudden on a on a on a Friday night you came home and there was this ten episode show about seventies New York music, I think it would have had a much different audience than if it had been like well, this true. is us People back love, in the drama I mean, business. People don't like hubris, but at the same time, vinyl was also an old show. It was a swaggering show. But there's a difference between hubris, hubris and marketing. Old people. You know, I mean, I think that that's... No, I, I, and I, 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 yeah. I agree with... I mean, like, obviously, I'm like, I'm not trying to cape up for vinyl. It, it had the run it had. But I'm saying it's interesting to think about someone out there is watching Tyrant. And just because it's not written about consistently and it doesn't have, frankly... A version of what you were for the bridge you know what i mean like you were a big advocate the for advocate. that show yeah, yeah and it doesn't I, as far as i know there's nobody where i'm like damn so and so is really like tyrant is the one um but obviously some people watch it uh i, I just I, I got the press mailing for it and it was just like in season one barry went back to the country of a button by the way which i believe is where joe joe button comes from <laughs> the country of joe Budden. and uh yeah. the country of new jersey or whatever yeah. um so the home of and, six uh, minute drake diss tracks <laughs> yeah no wonder no one's watching it <laughs> um he returns to his country and there's a coup and his brother takes over and then it's like in the second season barry joins the resistance and like moves to the desert and then the third season barry takes over i'm like Barry, My man. slow your roll. Like tyrant kind of sounds lit. Yeah. So maybe I'm missing out. But I, you know, I, we're we're a little bit all over the place. But I see your I see your point. Um, and and the main point is for for a essentially or apparently bottomless pocketed enterprise like Netflix. You know, someone asked a TCA this week. Can anything get canceled? Does everything get a second season? Like, apparently, the Will Arnett show Flaked got a second season announced from the TCA stage, and no one involved in the show knew they'd gotten renewed. Like, that's, that's the level of, of just overkill that Netflix is doing. I don't know if that's true or not. That's what, what I'd heard. Um, and similarly, like, so, so for the get down, they needed to spend the same amount of money that HBO spends on a season of Game of Thrones on a show about kids dancing in the Bronx <laughs> because they needed to make it happen whereas for fx which obviously is a very rich company but if they're not sure what the next big drama is and it might cost x amount of millions of dollars just to get something going in terms of you know making a room then like getting a different room and then investing in yeah. it, shooting the pilot you're right so holding that slot and then maybe selling it around the world that's low-key a way to maintain the bottom line as opposed to sink it that that's probably a good point it's but just a theory it man a weird marketplace it's a weird but it's a weird marketplace right that a cartoon about a talking horse and frisky meow meow is like the talk of the town and a show about barry joining the goddamn desert resistance <laughs> nobody cares about it. 
I need I'm that. I'm gonna join the resistance. I need I need Bojack Tyrant. I need Meow Meow Kissy Face joining the resistance. Uh, yo, yo, Bojack Tyrant is a dope <laughs> name for a TV show. It's about a horse who's a tyrant. Um, all right, let's Can talk you about. Imagine Lawrence of Arabia from the perspective of a horse, <laughs> the camel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Okay, let's take a break. Hear from our sponsors. We'll talk about Born next. This episode is brought to you by Loot Crate. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than $20 a month, you get four to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com watch and enter promo code watch to save $3 on any new subscription. Plus, Loot Crate is more than just a subscription service. It's an entire community of fans that share their experience and interact with each other around the unboxing of each month's crate. And they guarantee $40 or more in value in every crate. Sometimes it's a lot more. Every month there's a different theme and all items are curated around that theme. Previous crates have included franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, The Walking Dead, The Legend of Zelda, and many more. From bad guys doing good things for the wrong reasons and good guys with questionable tactics, August is the perfect time to explore the anti-hero. Walk the hero villain line with this 100% exclusive collection of items from DC Comics, Archer, Dark Horse, and Kill Bill that includes two great collectibles, a wearable, and of course our monthly tea. And don't forget the pin! Remember, you only have until the 19th of August at 9pm Pacific to subscribe and receive this month's crate. And when that cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. So go to lootcrate.com watch and enter promo code watch to save $3 on your new subscription today. Of course, I want to tell you guys about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets for a game or a concert. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I just used it the other day to look for Ryan Adams tickets at the Greek, start checking out UCLA football tickets at uh, Rose Bowl, Trying to expand my NFL horizons, give the Rams a chance. I'm checking out SeatGeek. With SeatGeek, you'll never need to waste time checking other tickets or other ticket sites because SeatGeek does it all for you. They pull in all tickets available on all other sites, put them all together, aggregate them so you save time, you never miss a deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, listeners of the watch get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, enter promo code watch, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So just download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code watch today. Andy, so the board franchise is probably the I don't know. Is it the most consistently rewarding, rewarding movie franchise of our adult lives? It first starts in 2002, and we've gotten a, a movie every few, year, few years since then. This is the fifth one uh, coming out on Friday, Jason Bourne. It marks the return of Paul, Paul Greengrass, who directed the second and third installments of the, of the franchise. Mm-hmm. And um, this franchise, I think, kind of articulates a lot of the things that you and I are interested about in espionage fiction and pop culture in filmmaking and acting what they what people can kind of the way you can ring out incredible moments from genre stories uh yeah. i guess let's just open up the floor and talk generally about like what is it when you think about the f- series that you're if i'm like hey why do you like those movies what would you tell me 
I, I think the thing to say, and I think you were saying this in in in, in a different way. This is this is the the grown ups action franchise. This is the this is summer movies for adults. Basically, um, it was cons- they, this, these movies are consistently creative. They came, you know, there was punching and fighting and car chases and global intrigue, but they were not, there were not cities being leveled. There were no capes. There were no, you know, it it always surprised in the ways it did, you know, in some sense, unsurprising things. Um, I think we should also say our love for this franchise is so deep that the, our theme song is, uh, samples the God Ed Norton in Born Legacy from his from the born legacy a movie that we will ride forever for we did a we did like a 60 minute podcast about that movie when it came out four years ago <laughs> someone recently tweeted they thought that was like norton that was a norton rip from american history x it's like no son get your legacy straight <laughs> um we do you, do you remember when we can you imagine if we were like ended? let's get some american history x samples <laughs> in this trip <laughs> no, nothing nothing like talks about our just general attitude towards pop culture than edward norton curbing someone over racist hate like that's basically that's what we love um do you remember there was the there was the period when uh when grantlin was done and we knew we were gonna we're gonna hook up again with bill but we couldn't announce it and so we were we knew we had to come up with a new podcast name and i i don't know how serious we were but we were definitely talking about crisis suite yeah like we we really thought that would be a a cool name for a podcast yeah Uh, we love these movies they and sorry the last point i would make is that watching them over the course of their lifespan they did seem to and i think this can be an overrated thing to compliment in in films or in culture in general but they did seem to reflect the times in which they were made they were very much um, by accident the first movie didn't intend to do this it was a quirk of when it was released and when it was filmed but certainly the greengrass damon movies which people hold up as the exemplars of the series um uh, legacy and uh, ultimatum not legacy i'm sorry no, I- identity and ultimatum. and ultimatum and jason Bourne. yeah or sorry supremacy um, ultimatum and jason Bourne. well but the first two that they made together so not the new one the, the, those really are held up as like sort of almost key post 9-11 texts sure. basically about like america's role in the world about hard power soft power espionage blah 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 but the other thing is they were just fucking dope they were really entertaining they cast great actors in very cool roles and they always underplayed the parts that other movies overplayed and we love them so i think that the important thing to note about this franchise is it is not a monolith that there is actually quite a bit of variance from film to film if you look at them um and i've been kind of skipping through them over the week just to kind of refresh my memory and i was shocked by just how much supremacy is the peak i think identity is by far the most enjoyable and and surprising and you mentioned this with adult you know it's adult action movies the intelligence of these movies can't really be underrated it and and they came at a time where it did not feel like it was possible to find intellectual stimulation at a multiplex you know every Mm -hmm. once in a while you would get something like heat or collateral or something like that and there were you know i'm i'm painting with a really wide brush here but i remember distinctly seeing identity and having zero expectations of that movie matt damon was not a star at that time Mm -hmm. in fact i think his star was kind of on the way down i mean he had sort of popped up and stuff after a a brief kind of like the goodwill hunting run i think he had been having having trouble getting out of being 
Goodwill Hunting, you know? And well, I also think he was. He, people seemed very suspicious or doubt that he could play an action hero. Basically. Yeah, that was not something that people thought he was capable of doing. I mean, I'm just like looking at his at his credits here from what he was doing right before Born, and mm-hmm. you know, it's there's not a lot. I mean, you know, he does. Well, talented Mr. Ripley was kind of in Courage Under Fire was for... the one where I think people were like, he's really good at acting. And yeah. then he did, you know, then he's in Goodwill Hunting and he kind of becomes a star. He's in Saving Private Ryan, but that was something that I think he shot. Maybe, I, I you know, nobody knew how big of a star he was going to be, but he's at the end of Saving Private Ryan. Rounders is a cult classic, but wasn't really appreciated at the time. Talented Mr. Ripley is phenomenal, but is not necessarily a Matt Damon movie, I don't think. And then he does a bunch of crap like Legend of Bagger Vance and Finding Forrester and the historically damned uh, All the Pretty Horses adaption. He comes in from Ocean's Eleven and things are going like, you know, he is going to be the third guy. He's in Jerry. Mm-hmm. He's in and, and, and nobody's really sure what's going on here. And then bang, Born Identity, Born Identity in 2002, Born Supremacy 2004, Ocean's, you know, he and Syriana, The Departed, Good Shepherd, oceans again born again you know it's been been like that since then but this was a completely different kind of series within the series though there's a lot of variants like i'm saying and i do think that the first one is probably the most purely entertaining one um and that legacy is is probably the most underrated i mean you and i are adore that film i actually in re-watching found myself not particularly enjoying ultimatum which is the 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 second I, Greengrass movie, yes, I I think, I mean I, I think there's two ways to look at this. I I think one way to to consider this franchise, uh, fourteen years into it is I think it's time to and we can do more of this on Monday after people see Jason Bourne. But I think that it, I think certain narratives that have carried coverage of these movies need to be reexamined. Basically, like who like who are the winners and losers of this? Because for a long time, the narrative was Paul Greengrass, who is a, you know, is a brilliant technical director and has made great movies. He was the one who figured it out and made these movies, the sort of kinetic, smart action movies that they are. And that, you know, that Doug, Liman, Doug Liman's contribution to it is, is overlooked. Tony Gilroy, who wrote the scripts for all of them in one form or another, yeah. we can get into that. He directed Legacy. He was not involved with Jason Bourne. I think, I think it's time for reconsideration of of a lot of that because I think that you're right that supremacy was peak born and peak this style of movie making and I think seeing Greengrass that quick the quick cuts that he does the sort the, the the kineticism of the camera like it's almost unsettling at times the way it moves so quickly um was really really striking and groundbreaking in in two and, and I think I bet he wouldn't agree with this and I bet Tony Gilroy wouldn't agree with this but sometimes amazing things happen when you when know, people strong are, will yeah when people, people when people don't get along yeah basically and the the, strong, uh, the stuff that happens the, at the, the beginning story. of two yeah. is actually i think you could make a real argument that in a world that didn't care about money this should have just been a two movie series um that that you do identity you do ultimatum or do, do supremacy and the end of supremacy is a perfect ending for this character uh three i thought was a little bit of a grind but obviously has a lot of stuff i thought it was almost avant-garde in how shaky mm-hmm. cam it was i mm-hmm. you know i i wonder whether or not four could have been something much bigger if there had been some tacit 
acknowledgement, like if Damon and Greengrass had signed off on it and had maybe there was like a Bourne cameo in it and maybe the next Bourne film could be something that Renner and Damon were in. Uh, I don't know. But there's there's not a whole lot going on in three and you can kind of feel the well, wheels grinding there. Right. And, 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 and nor was there apparently a screenplay our, that they could use. That's what Damon was well, right. That's going to come into our conversation on Monday because the question of why are they doing it again is an interesting one and a tough one. I don't think they answered it correctly. Um, but I also, you know, it, it's a problem that runs through modern action movies. Origin stories are not as interesting as people think they are. And the heart of these movies, maybe the first two, but beyond that, who is this guy? You know, it doesn't really matter after a certain point. Yeah. There are other questions to ask in the universe, especially when you're willing to deal with a world that is this paranoid, this surveilled, you know, this dangerous this fraught as the world in this in this in these movies are but to the to the point that you were saying i think this is generally recognized as the truth even though i don't know who how many people have ever talked about this on the record but you know gilroy wrote in one form or another the scripts for the first three and those scripts were basically ripped up and ignored in production where Lyman sure. would be like ah, let's go to paris and then greengrass was like i'm i'm not really going to shoot that or i'm going to shoot in a different direction um which sort of led to the bad blood, I think, when they handed the franchise to Gilroy and they basically, it was almost like a passive aggressive move towards Damon and Greengrass for not making another one. But you look at, I was thinking about, this is a ridiculous comparison, but you know the, the great movie MASH, the Robert Altman movie? Yeah. Like Ring Lardner Jr. wrote the screenplay, won an Oscar for the screenplay, and pretty much said, not a word of my screenplay is on the screen. Well, I, I beg and, to differ that, with that with Gilroy. I think that a lot of the, the especially the second film and the first film have stuff in there that you, that feels distinctively like him. And I do think that later films and you, obviously if you see legacy and that's all him, you, you kind of get the sense of what he finds interesting about the character and the world. It's so much more detailed and jargon heavy in the ones that he's involved with, whereas the ones where it's just more Greengrass and Damon, it's almost like a silent film, except it's I, I complete, a very noisy and, and, and silent see, film, if that makes sense. And you see in the new movie just how little Greengrass thinks about scripts, right. because the, the script for the new one is written by Greengrass and the, his editor. Like, there's no writer involved. Well, this in is it, a guy who actually would that. probably but, rather make handheld recreations yeah. of real-world events and there's just very like literally this is what happens to Captain Phillips here and then he does this and then he does that right. and then he does that and there's he's very good at wringing tension and drama out of the real world but when you ask him to make a film that doesn't have a screen that isn't everybody knows what happens with Captain Phillips and everybody knows what happens with Flight 93 when it's green, I, when it's Green Zone yeah. or one of these Borns and he's like it's about computers now run around. I, I completely agree with you. I didn't mean to imply that there was nothing of Gilroy in those movies, but what there was was just enough of... Would, he would not want to think this. He's an Oscar-winning screenwriter, but with the scripts he wrote laid just enough track for the other artists to do the things that interested them, which is basically to go down that track that was laid, but take wild detours and turn the camera in different directions that interested them. So that, that tension, that friction made something interesting. Now, what I would say here is... I think Born Identity, the first movie, is the best film in the series. I, and I say this after 14 years of reflection and consideration, and I completely hear what you're saying about supremacy. I think it's an v- excellent, outstanding film. I think it's a close second. But the thing about Born Identity is that it is just delightful. 
You know, so we good. think of the movies, especially with a new one, as very punishing. You know, it was a dark time. We're talking about dark ideas, uh, dark chapter in our nation's history or whatever. Born Identity is a fucking romp. You know, there are dark things in it. But it's basically about a. It's basically like the. It's European vacation. Yeah, it's, you know? a, lo- it's a love story. I mean, this story guy doesn't a, know anything it's about it. Before him. sunset. Yeah, it it is a, it is a love story in which the 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 right. It's it's be it's before sunset if Ethan Hawke killed a dude with a magazine. Yeah, right. Instead of just talking him to death. And Clive Owen was chasing them with a double-barreled shotgun. And and you think about that, like I, I think nothing. I don't know if I would hold up anything else in that in that entire franchise that I love more than the fact that Clive Owen, who is on the brink of stardom himself, has this very relatively small appearance in this movie. And all I think about in that performance is just sadness. It's such a sad little performance because he plays this guy who had all this training. And in another universe, there's a movie about him and his skills. Yeah. And he well, just I think that's shot. what they were hoping with the Bourne expanded universe is that there would be a certain there would be an interest in these people. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, and, times and, change. But what's interesting about Legacy is that it is such a taut and well-done little grown-up thriller. At the end, you know, I'm over people riding motorcycles and chasing them. Like, apparently motorcycles yeah, can go up and down steps. the last act of it is definitely a little bit whatever. But it, whatever. Yeah. But if you... The set pieces, the, the raid on the house that features our man Bill Camp, right? I think he's one of those dudes in that scene. Or dude, and our the man office the shooting, yeah. And then, yeah, the, the, the Jellico Ivanich office place, workplace shooting. Those are incredible and harrowing uh, sequences. Oh, and the thing with and Oscar Isaac's appearance in the beginning, too. Just that scene well, that's the, them that's the sort of genius of that movie is that it lingers just longer than usual on these tertiary characters. So you have the Bourne figure in Aaron Cross, and he does his thing. And I, he's kind of a known a known quantity even though we do get to see some some flashbacks but it lingers longer on edward norton in the joan allen role or rachel vice in the franco potent role or oscar yeah. isaac in the clive owen role and gives them just a little bit more humanity than they usually get in a blockbuster movie like that i i think one alternate way to, to talk about our love for these movies is just to acknowledge how thirsty we are for not stupid genre entertainment on a big level oh yeah um you know i i remember when that when the will smith movie focus came out and i wanted to believe in that movie so much because god do i want movie stars playing cons on each other sure you know like that that's i want movie stars to be movie stars and be glamorous and be funny and clever and, and you know and be surprised like that's what i want to have at the movies i don't want to see manhattan get destroyed for the nine thousandth time this year by a cgi monster <laughs> breathing flames i don't give a shit but the, the the fact the the reason why this is, this conversation is almost more melancholy than we expected. Obviously, we're 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 revealing a little bit about how we thought about the new movie that we will we will save the bulk of for Monday. But we we need this to be good in yeah. a way because we want people to keep making movies like this. I want there to and be an alternative dis- for all the shit that we talked about on Monday with all the trailers for those movies. Yeah, like, and it's just we all want that. that but it's dispiriting that, like like almost everything with Hollywood, the wrong lessons are learned. So Legacy didn't do that great, but the but the lesson from that was to snuff out. And obviously, this is this is also because Greengrass was wanted to put his thumbprints back on the franchise. He didn't want to move backwards in any way or even acknowledge it. But everything that Gilroy laid, all the track that he laid for potential new franchise or expanded universe, God help him, that all gets snuffed out. Yeah, and. 
the lesson from the success of identity and the success of supremacy isn't the lesson, the very smart lesson that Tom Cruise and Paramount learned from Mission Impossible, which is Mission Impossible movies are Tom Cruise jumping out of shit and with Ving Rhames and then a different filmmaker is going to make a different movie every time around them. Right. Um, the lesson from the success of supremacy was, oh, no, we're just going to pummel this one until the nail breaks. Right. And it's hard to imagine what they could do with a sixth one. Okay, so we're going to be back on Monday to talk about this film, Jason Bourne. We'll also touch on, probably do a little night of. If you're in Montreal, make sure you go see Andy with the Master of None uh, panel. Andy, can you get any details on that? A couple. Yeah, it's 4 p.m. on Saturday. It's part of the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival. I think tickets are available. I think their website is hahaha.com. Great website. Um, it's, I'm going to be up there with, uh, Aziz Ansari, uh, Alan Yang, Kelvin Yu and Noel Wells. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, and otherwise I will be trying to reenact the, um, Joe Beef episode of Vice Munchies. Um, people have given me some nice recommendations online, so I will be trying to do that. And if you were in, in Montreal this weekend, Bakersfield on Sunday night at 1130 PM, I will be hosting Tyrant Con at, mm-hmm. uh, the Holiday Inn, just last exit <laughs> before the desert. Um, Barry Palooza. <laughs> until then, uh, Andy, thanks, thanks for calling in. Nice talking to you. Join the resistance. Great job, Baranski. Bye, man. Thanks again to Loot Crate, the monthly subscription box for geeks, gamers, and pop culture nerds. From bad guys doing good things for the wrong reasons to good guys with questionable tactics, August is the perfect time to explore the anti-hero. Walk the hero-villain line with this 100% exclusive collection of items from DC Comics, Archer, Dark Horse, and Kill Bill that includes two great collectibles, a wearable, and of course, our monthly tee. And don't forget the pin! You have only until the 19th of August at 9pm Pacific to subscribe and receive that month crate and when the cutoff happens that's it it's over so go to lootcrate.com slash watch into promo code watch to save three dollars on your new subscription today